0: Let's begin in the sacrament prayer. I think you've all heard the sacrament prayer your whole life. When we bless the bread, there's a subtle play on words here. We partake of the sacrament to show three things. And witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father. Tell me what number one is. You've heard it your whole life. Sometimes it kind goes over our head. But what's the first one? O God, the Eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the, blood, of the body of thy Son, and witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father, that. Witness three things. Number one, that they are willing to take upon them his name. Do we take upon us his name when, we are, when during the sacrament? Notice the wording. What do we promise in the sacrament? I'm willing. I'm willing. Promise, I, I, Lord, I'm willing to take upon you my name. So where do we actually take it upon us? If we promise that we're willing in the sacrament, when do we actually do it? Baptism. Well, baptism would be a repeat of sacrament, right? So I'm assuming, I'm making an assumption here that the covenant of baptism is the same covenant of sacrament. So baptism is also a willingness to do it. So there's, an, there's a fascinating scripture. Turn to section 109 of the Doctrine and Covenants. which is the dedicatory prayer, right? Now, we talked about that, you prepare and be prepared. You organize and be organized. And the last one was, you establish and then be established. So let's go to the be established. Go to verse 24. If we establish a temple, then we will be established. So section 109, 24, establish a temple, and then then we pray in the dedicatory prayer that we will be established. But let's read it, 24 through 26, and it's the very end of 26 that I want to pay attention to. Anyone willing to read? 24 through 26. We ask thee, O holy Father to such people that shall worship, and honorably hold the name and standing in this thy house, to all generations and for eternity, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that he who digeth a pit, for them shall fall into the same himself. Then no combination of wickedness shall have power to rise up and rebel over the people of be Here we go, ready? Uh, so in the dedicatory prayer of our first temple, establish the people that established this house, protect them, and do what? Put your name on them upon whom thy name shall be put, where? In his house. It is in the temple where we actually take his name. Sacrament and baptism is a promise that we're willing to do. So it shouldn't surprise you to hear all sorts of things about names. It shouldn't surprise you that in the temple you're gonna be given a name. And it shouldn't surprise you if you're tested on that name. Did you take his name? That's the test. Now this has been our image, right? Coming out of baptism, I'm a newborn child, I'm reborn, this rebirth. I'm coming out, just like that child came out of his mother's womb, I came out of the baptismal font womb as a new child. And what do we do first, what do we do first? First we wash, sorry, I have an allergic reaction, so I'm not winking at anyone, I'm just, there's something about (laughs) Harriman. There's something about Harriman that I'm allergic to that's near this building. So the first thing we do is we wash. The first ordinance in the temple is wash. Then, because this is an heir to the throne, we anoint. And in the temple, we anoint. And then what do we do to a baby? We clothe. And then not very long after this birth, what's gonna happen to that baby? We give him a name. We're gonna put a name on that child. And that's exactly what happens in the temple. A name is going to be put on you. Now the test of the covenant is do you receive that name? He's offering it, but do you receive it? Is it actually on you? So let's do this. What is associated with a name, what is connected to a name? Identity. identity. I am a Dunford. Everywhere I go, people say, "Are you related to the bakery?" Yeah. Some that's part of my identity. Dunford, and bakery, and delicious donuts. It's part of my identity. It's it's in my name. If I'm a Dunford, my wife inherited that name by marriage, and yet, guess what? She's known as a Dunford. It's an identity. My name adds to me an identity, right? Names bring identity. If you're a Kennedy, what does your name do? I'm a Kennedy. Identity, Dion? Uh, Throughout the scriptures, many names have like a meaning or definition. I like that. A name gives me meaning. Okay, what else do you associate it with a name? Ancestry. Okay, I've got a people. My name ties me to a people. I have a whole group of ancestors that my name ties me to. Good. What else? What else is associated with a name? Can we add family to people first? I am instantly part of a family. My name puts me into a family. Good. Any others? I'd say in a way of remembrance, if you're named after someone, you share some first name, because you're life. Right. And not only that, but it holds me to a pretty hard bar, Right. If I'm named after my grandfather, I'm accounting to my grandfather. So there's an expectation associated with a name. Anything else? Uh, Sometimes there's an inheritance. Okay. There's a place. There's an inheritance. Not in terahence. When you drive around the neighborhood and you point to a house, what do you say? That's the Dunfords, right? The name is tied to a place. Now, do you begin to see how all of these are going to come into play in our temple covenants? God has a name. And with it comes a family, a place, an inheritance, a responsibility, a meaning, an identity, a people, a remembrance. You should expect temple and covenants and names to be very significant. So do you accept His name and all that goes with it. So I'm going to see if, maybe this isn't the best word, but I'm going to use it because the scriptures use it. I'm going to associate all of that. A name gives me a way. This is a way, a way of living, a way of being, So what God is really offering me, by offering me his name is all that he has, his whole identity, all of his power, all that he has, his way. Allow me to connect taking upon me his name to living his way. I embrace being a Dunford. There's a way associated with that. And I'm going to walk into the temple, and I embrace his name and his way. I want to show you a fascinating little pattern that I think opens my understanding as to what it means to take upon me his name. Let me go to the opposite end. Let me show you the extreme on the other end. And what fascinates me is we're going to do every book of Scripture. Let's start in the New Testament. New Testament, I want you to find Acts um, 1, verse 25. It's a fascinating way to describe it. Where did Judas Iscariot go after he betrayed Christ? Acts chapter 1 Verse 25, they're replacing Judas in the quorum of the twelve. After he committed suicide, after he ended his life, where did he go? That's a fascinating phrase. He went to his own place. His place. He committed suicide and went to his own place. Now, let's go backwards in time. Let's go to the Old Testament, but you're not going to find it in the Old Testament. It's been pulled out of the Old Testament. It's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament that didn't make it through the apostasy. He got stripped from the Old Testament. You're actually going to find him in the Book of Mormon. His name is Zenos, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and his allegory is found in Jacob chapter 5. And go to the very last verse, verse 77, after this huge, and now the whole analogy is the Lord's trying to make this tree produce good fruit, right? We collectively are the tree, and I individually am the tree, and he's pruning me, he's digging me, it's a history of Israel, it talks about the apostasy, the Nephites go to America, but in the end, we got to gather up all the good fruit, and we burn the bad fruit, in the end, where does the bad fruit go? Into its, own place. its own place. Whatever didn't produce good, if you wouldn't produce good fruit, in the end you go to, that goes to its own place. So that's New Testament, Old Testament. Watch the Book of Mormon. Now we go to the Book of Mormon prophet Jacob, whose comment, he just put this in. In the very next chapter, Jacob chapter 6, verse 3, what caught his attention? Look at that, 77 verses. I know the introduction takes a few verses, but a 70-verse allegory. So much doctrine there, and what caught his attention? What caught Jacob's attention? What a waste. What a waste to go where? Their own place. place. What a waste that they ended up in their own place. Now that's three times the scriptures have talked about a group of wickedness that goes to its own place. Judas, the fruit that wouldn't bring forth good fruit. Now, let's go to the R-Day, Doctrine and Covenants. Turn to section 88. Section 88. Now, verse 29, what group gets resurrected in 29? Section 88, 29 is the resurrection of all the celestial, the quickening The resurrection of the 29th. So let's pull all the celestial out of the spirit world. Verse 30 would be the resurrection of terrestrial. Verse 31 is the resurrection of telestial. So everyone going to a kingdom of glory has been resurrected. Who would be left in the spirit world? Anyone who came to earth, got a body, and yet is going to outer darkness. These are the sons of perdition. There are a few in the spirit world. Awaiting the resurrection. Now, if you got a body, will you be resurrected? Yes, even if you're a son of perdition. If you got a body, you will be resurrected. Now, where does the next verse say they go? Where do the sons of perdition who get a body end up going? Their own place. They go to their. Which one's right? This one's right. Right? So, another word, another title for perdition is your own place. They got a body and they will go to their own place. Now, why why are they going to their own place? Let's read the next verse, verse 33. Anyone want to read? So sons of perdition, who got a body, will be resurrected, and then they're going to go to their own place. Pick up right there in 32, where they go to their own place, and then read through 33. Uh, they shall return again to their own place, to enjoy that which they are willing to receive, because they were not willing to enjoy that which they might have received. For what does the prophet of man, if a gift is bestowed upon him, and he received re- receive not the gift? Behold, he rejoices not in that which is given unto him, neither rejoices in him. Who is the giver of the gift. So what gift did they reject? Christ. Christ. What gift did they reject? His atonement. They reject His atonement. And that's why they go to outer darkness. They will not receive His name. So where do they go? their own place. You see that fascinating? Now, let's do Satan and the third that followed him. Same section. Go to 114. Section 88, verse 114. Where will Satan spend eternity? How long of his existence has he spent? From the day he rebelled until today, how long has it been compared to his whole eternal ex- existence? Blink of an eye, Right? So this whole earth where he's tempting us, blink of an eye, where will Satan spend his whole eternity? Let's read it. Someone read verse 114, section 88, 114. Satan will end up, who will read it. 114. And then cometh the battle of the great God, and the devil and his army shall be cast away into their own place, that they shall not have power over the saints anymore at all. Now, tell me what you're seeing. What's the connection here? Why is perdition called your own place? Do you see the connection? I think it's because they will be there alone, essentially. Yeah. Um, with all the other kingdom of glory that we have, we'll be there with other people. and So when we're, we're cast on, we're in our own place, where we'll be alone for eternity. I love that. Dion. I think another thing is that um, the the places that God has prepared for us, the celestial, terrestrial, telestial kingdoms, they are prepared by an all-powerful being, a God. And so they are all going to have a form of of actual glory. If If these people are going to a place that is their own, that does not belong to God, that is not created or has anything to do with God, it could have no form of glory, it could have no form of anything that even compares to God. So what you're seeing is the opposite of this is His place. Why would you spend eternity in your place? Because how do you want to live? Your way. Heavenly Father says to everyone, I have a place for you. And in order to go to my place, you have to live my way. You take upon you my way. And anyone, even telestial, anyone who takes upon themselves, even the smallest amount of the name of Christ and the identity of Christ gets one of his places. But where does, what does he do with everyone else? What does he do with everyone else who says, no, I'm going to live my way. I insist on living my way. He takes them to the edge of his property and says what? Go enjoy whatever you can do for yourself. Go build your own kingdom because you can't be in mine. You go have a life. You go build a kingdom. You go spend eternity, Lucifer, doing whatever you want to do in your place. Go build yourself a kingdom, Lucifer, because you can't be part of my kingdom. Because you won't what? You won't take upon you my way. So you can kind of boil all this down. I think this is significant. Turn with me to John chapter um, 14. Right, we're doing that right now and come follow me. John chapter 14, look at verse two. What does Jesus say? I have prepared for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place. So, His place. His place. I have a place for you in my kingdom. Now, verse 6, how do you get His place? Jesus says, you want to go to anyone? uh, The Father has a kingdom for you. He has a beautiful place for you to spend eternity in his mansions, his place. And the way you get to his place is his way. I am the way. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. His place, his way. If you insist on living your way, what does Heavenly Father say? What is is your eternal reward? your place. Now, the symbol of taking that on me is his name. I fully embrace the name of Christ. And I live up to that name, I live up to the heritage, I live up to his name, I fully take upon me his name. So as a symbol, before I enter the Father's presence, he's gonna quiz me. Do you know the name? Do you see the beauty of it? Do you see what the temple's trying to do? Do you know, have you received, have you accepted? Do you live his way? If you do, where am I going? Where am I about to enter? His place, his presence, his glory, and he's gonna give me everything that he has. But I have to live how? His way. Do you see why we do what we do, when we do it? I need to make sure you know the name. Do you know the name? I know the name, Lord. Look at my life. I know the name. Okay, come in. Come in to my place. Do you see why we do what we do? The alternative is, I want nothing to do with your name. I don't wanna have anything to do with that atonement. I don't wanna have anything to do with him. I do not wanna play on his team. I do not wanna take upon me in any way his name. So the father says, okay, fine, go build yourself a kingdom. C.S. Lewis said it beautifully. There are in the end only two people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Now do you see the symbolism of that? You're gonna go into the temple and he's gonna give you a name. He's gonna give you many names. He's going to give you his name. And then before you enter his place, there's going to come a day where I have to say, I know the name. Now, is it a, is it a cognitive quiz? Can you spell it? No, it's a do you live it? Have you inherited it? Are you it? Have you put it on yourself? So a couple of scriptures. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. Now, Revelation chapter 14 has a group of exalted beings. These are the 144,000, the saved. This is the example of the people who are saved. Now, verse 1, tell me what distinguishing characteristic they have. Revelation 14. Revelation fourteen verse one. What's the distinguishing characteristic of the saved? They have his the name written. They have his name written in their forehead. See, I know the name. Okay, enter. Come, enter. I am following his way. I live his way. I think his thoughts. I love like he loves, okay? He has a place for you. Come in. Another one. Let's go to John chapter 10. New Testament, John chapter 10. Let's do this one together. This is where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. All right, John chapter... Um, John chapter 10, let's start in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth. So let's suppose you're all shepherds. We got 20 shepherds and you all have 40 sheep. Now there's no way I can take care of them 24/7. If I I need some sleep, I need some food and I don't want my sheep destroyed when I'm sleeping and eating. So the way we do it is we turn them over to a porter. Let's suppose there's like a cave or something, some safe place where the wolves won't get them. And so every single one of them, I'll put a B for me, here are my sheep, okay? Here's your sheep. And all of us have our sheep there. Now the problem comes in the morning, right? I got to get my sheep out. So because I'm the true shepherd, I'm identified as the true shepherd, the porter opens the gate to me. And what do I do? Tell me what I do. Let's read it. Finish verse three. The sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. What's the name he calls? It's not Bryce. What name does he call? His name. Uh, we'll get to that into the book of Mormon. He calleth them by name and leadeth them out. So the way it works is I just stand here and say, hey guys, let's go and they know me and they follow me they won't follow a stranger verse 10 he putteth forth his own sheep he goeth before them the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers they know his voice now do you see the temple do you see exactly what happens in the temple before we enter his presence? Do you know the name? Okay, Book of Mormon version, let's go to Alma chapter five. Alma chapter five, that great question period where Alma asks, have you received his image in your countenance? Let's go to 38. Here's the Book of Mormon version. Anyone want to read? Someone read 38 for me. There it is. That's what I was trying to point out in the New Testament. What name does he call out to call his sheep? His own name. In his own name, he calls. He calls me by his name. Keep going. Which is the name of Christ, and if you will not hearken to the voice of the good shepherd to the name by which you are called, you are not the sheep of the good shepherd. And if you're not the sheep of the good shepherd, of what fold are you? So he calls you by his name. Do you know that name? Now, how do we know his name? Jump down to 41. If we're a man where he sees hearkeneth unto the voice of the good shepherd, he doth follow him. Or whosoevereth but evil words, the same becometh the child of the devil, for he harkeneth unto his voice and death. So how do I pass the test? How do I put his name on me? Tell me how I put his name on me. Good, good I live his way. He sees him in me. What happens at the veil is simply a symbol. What happens in the temple is a symbol of an entire lifetime. When I'm quizzed, do you know the name? The real passing of that quiz is, does your life reflect his way? Are you learning to live his way? And my life will be the passing of the test. I know the name. If a man bring forth good works, he's hearing the voice. He's responding to the voice. He knows the name. So go to the temple and see the symbolism of how many names I'm given. When am I given them? And what are the names I'm given? What do they tie me to? What do they connect me to? And understand that someday there's going to be a quiz. There's going to be a test. Someday my life is going to have to answer the the question. Do you know the name? Are you familiar with his name? because you live his way. And I bear that testimony that anyone who lives his way gets his kingdom. One of my biggest pet peeves is people sometimes think that the telestial kingdom is a place of punishment. No, the place of punishment is your own place. You don't go to the telestial kingdom because you did something bad. You go to the telestial kingdom because you did something good. What's the good thing that even celestial people will do to get a kingdom of glory? Back to 88, verse 32. What's the gift they receive that gets them a kingdom of glory? Let's go back and read that. We'll end here. 88, 32. The sons of perdition will go to their own place because it's the only thing they were willing to receive. What else? What could they have received? his place by doing what verse 33 tell me what makes you a son of perdition you receive not the gift what would that suggest everyone in a kingdom of glory has done received his gift to whatever degree, I don't know. I don't know at what degree you become a son of, or a celestial person. But those who receive the fullness of his gift and the fullness of his name and repeat his actions as best they can are going to get the fullness of his kingdom. So when you partake of the sacrament and you promise, I'm willing to take upon me his name, understand that somewhere you're going to be handed his name and then you're going to be quizzed. Do you know the name? My life has to answer that question. My life is my answer to, is his name written on me? Is it written in my thoughts? Is it written into my heart? Is his name written on me? If it is, the veil will part. And I will enter his place because I am his sheep. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.